Welcome to Dumb Dives. Join me, Pranav, and my close friend Arvind as we dip our toes in the kiddie pools of technology and philosophy and explore the back roads of society. New Matrix, Dune released a while back. We haven't watched either of them. That makes us perfectly qualified to talk about both of them and what ties them together, right? Exactly. Uh, as expected from a high-budget, professionally recorded <laughs> podcast such as this. But no, but sci-fi has always been so interesting because um, I think in some ways it, it reflects our... I mean, I hate I hate saying it reflects our views on society because the, the thing of views of society and we live in a society has just been overused as a meme at this point. But I think sci-fi says some really interesting things about our relationship with technology, our relationship with other humans, and how how that space is mediated. And um, I think in some ways, if we look at what some people would call like classic sci-fi movies, you know, stuff like Star Wars, the early Star Trek movies, and so on, the focus was always on conquering a new physical frontier, which was space, which is seen in like the extreme futurism and so on and so forth. Um, whereas I'd say more, uh, I, I won't say all modern sci-fi, but a lot more of modern sci-fi has been focused around the, the, the other frontier, which is human technology interfacing. And, you know, it, I think it's just a really interesting place to start talking about a lot of fairly interesting ethical, moral, philosophical issues, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Why don't we start off by Ayya telling us one of his favorite <laughs> sci-fi things? No, no, no. Like before, I get into some of the mm-hmm. movies and books that I've really liked. I think you bring up a good point about like the the differences between like the say seventies and earlier era of sci-fi mm. and what we see in science fiction now. Yeah, uh, I think like we can get a bit deeper into that why possibly we may think that has happened and like what are the actual differences Mm -hmm. uh i think so like you mentioned right pre-70s we were just coming out of two world wars uh there was the massive space race all through the 60s and 70s people trying to get to the moon people just trying to get to space and that created a lot of buzz in that area of developments in engineering and science as being the future or like being like a very close future because things were moving so quickly in space travel in uh the like from never going to space and then having a person on moon things move very fast like like late 60s we had a person on the moon and like things haven't really significantly changed since then yeah just the cost perhaps has come down significantly uh, but the the biggest change in technology since then is the is the insane like ever presence of uh, computers, smartphones, all these type of devices that completely have changed the way we look at our interactions with uh, the products that we make. Mm. Everything is smarter, and we have these really, really, really powerful computers that. Just 30, 40 years ago, it would take up the size of an entire room at some extremely well-funded research institution or university. And 
that changes everything for what we think we, is possible with technology and also i feel like in a way it has sort of limited our creativity in in fiction of like now that we have computers it's very difficult to write a science fiction book where we have to assume that computers aren't a thing and just like write a different like parallel universe where that's not a thing because it's just so deeply rooted in our lives and uh, that's how a lot of the older science fiction was you see a lot i'm not talking about the asimov uh, type stuff but uh, say even dune right yeah. which came out just now it's this very little discussion of actual computer like that not even a thing like computer type technology is not really a thing the sort of technology that they explore is you know those uh, suits that they have to survive in the deserts of arakis uh that allow you to harvest your water that's something that's really fascinating and you just don't see much of that in new sci-fi like whether you're looking at things from from say the bunch of uh disney marvel type uh, like weird superhero stuff where they do try to introduce some elements of science or you also see uh stuff like the martian or uh black mirror or a bunch of things that are happening in anime and japanese fiction as well right. uh it's 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 a very 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 different space and mindset i think absolutely i think so when you talked about like the jump in <clears throat> processing power and all that we have now at our hands i think a, a kind of comparison would make it like so much clearer cuz mm-hmm. the apollo 13 mission oh, sorry not apollo 13 was it apollo 13 it was launched with like 4 kilobytes of ram yeah and now like we can't use a smartphone that doesn't have more than 4 gigabytes of ram like the the, right. the sheer scale of like it, it's what like i think a non smart fridge would have more compute power yeah yeah than the computer system on that type of aircraft i i, I no this is Oh yeah yeah I mean yeah it's it's just it's another level of like how big the leap has become and just yeah. it it's the entire shift from one frontier to the other right like like I said before the the thing you talked about the the suit and dune right where they have where it harvests water and um things like in Star Wars where the ships are like the primary um example of tech right like yeah. the better your ship the the more advanced your race is kind of thing they're all about conquering physical frontiers which is very much the mindset that we had until the entire computing revolution and then we realized hey the real universe sucks let's get to the metaverse and here we are now <laughs> 20 years later yeah that uh, my, the the space exploration and trying to conquer a new planet mm-hmm. uh that seems very closely linked with the colonial mindset of uh people invading from the west to the east or whatever the global north to the global south or whatever it's called right i think like it was that mindset that i think was very deeply ingrained into culture even if people aren't actively trying to think of uh colonizing other cultures which might which has started being shunned like at that like by the 50s 60s all of that yeah uh but it's still that mindset and that culture was so deeply ingrained perhaps that they were still unable to shake that off entirely and when you look at fiction it comes off quite clearly now that we see it with a different lens 
I think actually that's that's a pretty interesting um, idea because I think we can also split this almost bifurcation in sci-fi ideals into a colonial and post-colonial mindset. So I think the hallmarks of post-colonial philosophy from what I've read, and again, I've read like two papers by Fanon, I think. Like that's all I've read about post-colonial philosophy. But the idea seems to be around identity. And when you look at a lot of rather defining sci-fi in terms of, you know, human computer sci-fi, stuff like Terminator 1 and 2, the matrix you have movies like ex machina and um like you have so many of these movies blade runner and blade runner 2049 a lot of them explore the they explore questions of identity from the outset like in the matrix the entire point is that yeah like machines have taken over there's the entire apocalyptic thing but at the core of the story is neo finding his identity so he was a hacker slash, you know, software engineer, and then he becomes the one, the chosen one of prophecy and so on. And it's that thing of like fighting, struggling, trying to find your identity and then coalescing it all together because it's a mishmash of various things. That seems to be at some core what post-colonial um, philosophy tries to get through. Because again since post-colonial, right? It, it revolves around colonized nations trying to make sense of the trauma they've suffered collectively as, a gen- as like generations. The trauma the land itself has suffered, the trauma the cultures have suffered. And then like piecing all of that together with an identity, with like a future and a past. So, so that's one way to look at sci-fi, right? Uh, the other and and again like you said the colonial mindset about conquering a frontier rather than exploring it's about conquering yeah like see sci-fi is an interesting lens to look at a lot of things honestly when we're trying to create like categories of sci-fi there's another one that another type of classification that i've come across relating to the topics that are that the the fiction is based on and discusses and explores primarily Mm -hmm. so uh it might be a controversial way of describing it, or at least the terms that they use, but there's hard fiction, hard science fiction and soft science fiction. So uh, typically hard science fiction are the books uh, or media that use like uh, science of physics, chemistry, uh, mathematics, those kind of uh, sciences and engineering mm-hmm. and explore systems when either like one technology can be pushed to the next level or an unsolved problem becomes solved and like how that would affect and what sort of innovations could be created and a story based on that type of universe so even something uh, as well known as say the martian Mm -hmm. you could put into that space as exploring uh, space travel, the sort of uh, challenges of it uh, in a very sort of realistic lens. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. I'm sure there are uh, loopholes in the science, but as far as possible, the authors have tried to keep it as consistent to what we know as possible. Absolutely. Maybe a few artistic licenses here and there. Uh, the other, On the opposite end is soft science fiction, 
uh, very often it may not take the 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 physical uh, physics and maths as seriously yeah take quite a lot more artistic uh, uh, license to uh, mess with that from how it would really mm-hmm. happen in real life like say something as simple as in star trek when uh, a sh- like a ship is, is starting to fly through space yeah uh, realistically all the pilots are going to have to suffer through like really strong <laughs> a uh, sense of a, a huge g force is going to be there and yeah. they're going to have to like they're going to barely hold on as they fly through space uh but they don't really show that in the shows or the books so those are the sort of like licenses that they might take to then explore what some some people call the soft sciences of society of uh, psychology mm. and uh, culture and politics e- economics uh try to study like these things in a futuristic sense in some way yeah i think so the i think that's one way of categorizing obviously because hard and soft i think there relies or it refers more to like the science that the book relies on so and and again like i get the you know there's like a very weird polarization i don't like the yeah, terminology yeah. of yeah. hard and soft like I, i wish there was a better word oh um, like, so i think i think the way i look at it is there's speculative and fantastical sci-fi okay so speculative sci-fi still relies on what can be done in the future like i'd say interstellar is a lot more speculative than fantastical whereas you know something like star wars is definitely on the side of fantasy and not very right. speculative at all and it's 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 really interesting to look at also just how far into the future we look at things mm-hmm. with regards to sci-fi like if you look at uh something like blade runner like while while that may not technically be possible you know like we may not ever have replicants but the kind of systems in that in that you know in that franchise the kind of mega corporations and the entire idea of cyberpunk which i think we have spoken about a couple of times but the thing of cyberpunk um ideology and like mega corporations owning a lot of things or like literally controlling all power it kind of rings really really true but it's spec it's very speculative in the soft sciences sense and not in the hard sciences sense or or rather speculative in social sciences not in the stem sciences yeah yeah in a very similar note like i saw 1984 which typically people wouldn't consider a science fiction book but given the time i think uh, and the sort of topics it explores was like a, a sort of definitive example for soft science fiction as oh, to yeah. Ex- yeah. exploring uh, more of the political side of things mm. not necessarily uh, the future of science yeah it's just like take this situation how does society respond to that i think even something like brave new world uh, oh yeah. yeah no brave new world i feel like really does explore uh, whether realistic or not it really tries to explore what might be possible with science uh, i think that they do leave it like these problems that we have no idea how how to approach maybe solved at some point in in like the future but i think future. the the way huxley intended it at least seems to be more as this is speculative i don't assume this will ever happen but if it happens you know if we somehow break the laws of aging and like 
have this drink that if you ingest you'll be eternally youthful like that's the thing right uh, yeah there's uh, there's a lot to it of course like there's barely any uh, work of fiction that's going to be hardly into either one category yeah uh, it, a lot of science fiction does try to explore uh uh both sides of it because it it feels very di- one dimensional if it's just uh, a book <laughs> uh trying to fantasize about the future of physics uh without really talking about what could be done with that or like the uh, ramifications like, of it cuz i mean exactly the smallest invention the smallest advance now in anything has immense ramifications just in terms of quality of life and convenience like yeah yeah that's exactly what i mean yeah, like yeah. if 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 they're only going to do uh, like it just it just becomes a science book it's not a yeah exactly <laughs> no longer <laughs> there's no fiction anymore it's, it's just a like a non verifiable science book yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah uh, i i i just suddenly like Uh, I feel like it's a very uh, abrupt change of topic but it just suddenly made me realize that realize that there's very little Indian science fiction at least that I have oh, yeah. uh, read or watched No you're right uh, I haven't come across much Yeah if any most of it is extremely derivative and all in the film space uh there's I'm sure there's a bunch of uh, really talented writers and filmmakers who are doing like indie and self published uh, published works but nothing in the mainstream yeah yeah i think uh, the only one that stands out in my head like even vaguely in in the in this category of science fiction is the uh unvaba revelations uh, mantico trilogy i think it was called uh, Never by samit pasu it was a, a trilogy of books hmm. a game world trilogy that's what it was called ah uh so it, that was a really fascinating one because so the it was a part it was one of those uh, books that for some reason just had this really strong tone of comedy throughout the entire thing the entire world is a board game that is being played by higher forces oh uh and the higher forces are, don't really care uh they just like like lose track of things forget about what's going on uh get distracted gamble away stuff uh but they're also paying attention at the same time and yeah. like start having favorites and things like that uh and uh, there's a bunch of like really hilarious interactions between like one entity and like his sidekick huh. who really has like the IQ of like like in single digits <laughs> uh as but like it was just like a very fascinating book in somewhere between the line of fantasy and science fiction uh mostly like it, it felt a bit like a classical uh, fantasy but there are were these like uh, ideas that were brought into it here and there that made it feel like uh, science fiction and for me like that's the only, like it's kind of insane that that's the only book i've read i've tried reading a quite a quite a bit that stands mm. out in this genre yeah and no of course like in pop popular thing it ha- like you have to talk about like endiran and stuff yeah, but like but... it's just so derivative from irobo the movie not yeah, even the yeah, book yeah uh and terminator that like you can't tr- truly call it like a, a complete uh, original uh work yeah and like it has bits of robocop and stuff thrown in and it's just okay i know you're <laughs> it's, taking it's just bits a, and pieces yeah. but there's so much 
the the thing i don't like about a lot of derivative sci-fi be it in in an indian context such as endiran or if you look at the western context there's a ton of terrible sci-fi movies that get crapped out every year yeah like sure. jupiter ascending for example that's like one that i can remember right now um but the the problem with that is either they completely whitewash the culture that it's rooted in if it's something like endiran like mm. you don't really see how you know having a robot like that kind of fits into an indian context like it's really not explored that well it is just all it's a lot more about like the personal story which completely fair but even that wasn't that great you know yeah. wasn't very compelling yeah. uh, i think not i mean like to be fair like we have to accept that that movie was more of a a show of, of what cg can do when the movie came out uh yeah, it was like, like a it was like a computer graphics flex rather than really exploring it as a science fiction movie but i think yeah i don't know man i don't know the only i mean the only indian sci-fi i've come across was the anime adaptation of ramayan it's hilarious that like you could actually like you tried classifying ramayana as a as a work of science fiction which is just fascinating oh no no it's just it's just the the anime the anime movie of the ramayana that came out the so ravan ravana's chariot was like this really cool you, you know like in the myth he has like a flying chariot which is how he yeah. kidnaps sita but like in in the ramayan like thing it it was like transformed into this really cool like jet fighter looking thing that <laughs> was like okay that that's kind of hard that's kind of hype you know <laughs> jet fighter goes hard <laughs> Yeah yeah I I I I hope I'm not stepping on any toes but like truly uh, like a neutral sense the idea of those old epics as being science fiction in a way of like trying to think of flying chariots yeah. and uh, being able to like quickly transport across countries and uh, a person who can change his uh, size and pick up a mountain and No, it's definitely uh, speculative these, sci-fi. Yeah, <laughs> it, it truly is because, yeah. like, you have to think like thousand, two thousand years ago, what science or understanding of the mm. environment was there. Uh, it truly is science fiction, and it as a story, it's 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 so compelling that it stood through with us like for so long. Right? Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And. just segueing off of the ramayan thing right because it's it's one of my favorite things from childhood like honestly i can watch that movie right now and i'll have a ball because it's so good yeah like, yeah no, the animation is so good but again things that stuck that stuck with me from childhood honestly the matrix is probably one of my favorite movies of all time and again i don't know not a controversial take it's a great movie everyone knows it's mm-hmm. a great movie but yeah i mean i honestly never cared for like the philosophical import of it and i kind of still don't even though that is my entire like that's what i'm doing right now right yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah, that's yeah. what i'm studying but i don't care about the philosophical import of the matrix cuz what what honestly made it stand out to me was the way the movie looked it looked futuristic 
like it didn't yeah. it didn't look like other sci-fi movies where you have the future as an anachronism into the present or it's so futuristic that you don't care about it in yeah. this you can very clearly see there is a present day reality yeah. which is you know what neo lives in or yeah. or like what he lives in you know like through the machines and stuff when he's in that incubation pod thing and then there's like the actual reality where the machines have subsumed humanity and there's like a certain I, i again i keep saying i don't care for the philosophy but the philosophy <laughs> itself is so interesting but then you, it, yeah you when you talk about the matrix you can't not talk about it but, like but then that may not be the main thing that yeah, exactly. gets you hooked it's, but it's you never can't what, not talk about it it's never what drew me to the movies which is very um which is very not the case in things like robocop and um you know the terminator like there the philosophy is kind of what stood out to me cuz even though they're well shot movies there's some really cool stuff do like they're doing with applied ethics and morality and that kind of thing the, that's so weird cuz most people I think know. it's the other way i know like people watch terminator and stuff for like the action and arnold schwarzenegger being arnold schwarzenegger i mean it's great not for like don't the get me ethics as much <laughs> i mean don't get me wrong it's phenomenal right like i think like while i say the matrix philo- the philosophy of the matrix isn't a draw i can't deny like a lot of what they draw upon and a lot of what they do in the first movie at least is very very good philosophy it's just never what made me interested in the movie cuz cuz to do great philosophy like that in a movie is tough so they left it up to metaphor they left it up to imagination and great visuals like like the matrix holds up so well even today like as a movie yeah i think like they went so overboard on some of the the visuals where it's like stylized like stylistic yeah yeah, yeah. It, it feels a lot like some uh, some of those like really old animations that you uh, especially like the walt disney animation mm, they just where they hold up like you know like the so like good. even something like the spooky scary skeletons yeah 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 it holds ancient up. animation yeah, like yeah. it's i think it's from the 40s or something right but like the stylistic choices that they made really make it stand out no matter what like even if you could have something with an insane higher quality in terms of detail and mm. like environments and character movement and stuff like that it's like the small choices that they made like how in the matrix like like the like the like neo resp- response when like there's a bu- like, bunch of bullets shot at him it's yeah. just so bizarre that it's not real where you're just like you can suspend reality and things look mm-hmm. so so weird that you're like this is cool yeah i mean it it, it just sorry that re- that just reminded me of this quote um with some streamer i was watching who was playing cuphead and he, and he was like this game is going to look beautiful in 10 years when the games we have now in 3d are going to look like shit in 10 years time and i was like yeah no cuphead cuphead's going to look great in 10 years time because it, it's stylized so beautifully Yeah and like it has its own very unique identity I think I think a really interesting thing to talk about since we've spo- since we've spoken about the draws of something like the matrix and, and terminator without ever getting into the actual philosophy behind them but who cares but I th- I th- yeah I think there's better sources if you want to get into that Yeah no but I think <laughs> I think a really interesting thing to talk about is um the stylization of sci-fi itself you know mm-hmm. cuz um 
you look at a lot of i i, I don't want to say a lot of contemporary sci-fi movies but the ones that have made it big are either things like interstellar and the martian which are you know they're very somber tales of like the humans and not the science and like the fiction itself it's mm-hmm. it's about you know a father reconnecting with his daughter after like being astray for so long and you know wandering space and time to get back yeah. to her or you know the martian which is you know guy stranded on the on mars and he has to like find a way to cope with the isolation yeah um or you have something like ex machina which is you know what happens when uh and what happens when there's artificial intelligence or a robot that can literally just they're as human as we are they're yeah, a- exactly yeah. the same with her yeah 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 oh that. god beautiful movie i like it's one of the few movies that made me actually just cry like i broke down after watching the movie it was so good but but like so many of the like like these movies i feel the style the stylistic choices don't come as much in the direction and like the way the camera angles kind of like they play a huge role but it's so much more based on like the actors and like the dialogue because the dialogue writing yeah. in all these movies is amazing like it's yeah. so good and then on the other and, yeah. uh, on the other hand you have like more action oriented sci-fi like you said the marvel the marvel series and like i don't think anyone can deny say what you want it's it's sci-fi <laughs> it's, it really is it's, it's like, just blockbuster it's, sci-fi and like done it's, well it's like what you said earlier it's science fiction uh, like with that fantasy element yeah, right yeah uh, where you're like suspending the, the fact that superheroes exist in this world mm. but then they also on the sidelines of that they explore a lot about uh, say iron man and his suit right yeah, how that would look yeah. how uh, how iron man actually interacts with his suit like uh, tony stark interacts with his suit the, like the, the interfaces and and like, all of that the the implications of like mm-hmm. like large weapons manufacturers and like the actual first iron man movie i think or one or second one maybe was like like stuff happening in the middle east and like how yeah. uh, the us is funding a bunch of those uh, like private private players are funding a bunch yeah, of yeah, those yeah. Uh, sort of campaigns and that is fascinating and then that there's, they there's chose civil to do war that. as well which is you know what happens when a group of extraordinary individuals have so much power over the safety that people have like that civil war right like do we regulate it or do we you know not regulate it because there are good arguments for both sides and that kind of any anything with regulation kind of is a metaphor you know Oh, sorry civil war is a metaphor for anything that's highly debated and you know needs to be regulated in some way hmm. um yeah like 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 that's marvel we've given um <laughs> philosophical credence and like like you can watch marvel movies now without being ashamed uh listeners and <laughs> if 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 that was the only thing stopping you yeah if that was the only thing stopping you i, I i've never understood the hate for marvel honestly I think it's just too much like uh, yeah, I mean, but just like as someone who has had those comments against the movies and and like it's just like uh to me personally there was too many movies no, coming I out I in agree. a short time and that was my only real thing I had against they were mostly all great movies it's just yeah, too I much. wanted to see something else cuz I don't like uh seeing the same thing over and over again Yeah no see see that that is a complaint I get behind 
what i don't get is people saying oh you shouldn't watch marvel movies cuz they're bad they're not they're great entertainment or like superhero uh, superhero movies are for kids and stuff like that like again yeah, yeah. they're not it's just great yeah. entertainment dude like i can watch infinity war right now with a pack of chips by my side and i'd be having a great time cuz it's it's i know the story i know how it ends i yeah. don't care it's great entertainment <laughs> yeah yeah we've we've kind of moved away from sci-fi for a bit but Uh, <laughs> i i think that like uh, but there was a topic that we started getting into which was like uh like mediums or approaches that mm-hmm. are used in sci-fi that really make it stand the test of time yeah uh i think that one th- one point that you brought up was that like a lot of these recent stories that stand out to us are the ones that explore an individual story yeah. as uh they are put in a situation with uh science at a different stage from what we have in the present yeah uh it may or may not be a future reality but it's just like a a, a different situation so like the martian interstellar all of these these are stories of one person or an a relationship between yeah. a person and their environment or a person and an ai or something like that yeah i think that these stories uh, really do go beyond uh, uh a point in time because it doesn't matter what yeah, the science yeah. is you're really just looking at this relationship uh that because like i i bring this up because i just read finally read i robot and that book if you've not read it is basically a set of uh chronological short stories about uh, a person or a couple of people and how they interact with a robot in a very unusual circumstance for that fictional time like point in time uh they have uh, they like so there's one uh, robotics researcher who is recounting her experiences and a bunch of stories that she has uh observed over uh, her entire career as a roboticist so it talks about these two engineers and how they interact with a robot that is uh disobeying their orders in a very specific way and they try to deduce based on the laws of robotics what is going on mm-hmm. uh or another one where one of the robots decides to start creating an army of its own not really to like fight against the humans but just because like uh some of the laws like sort of allowed it to do so in order to create like a a sense of discipline amongst the, the robots that were not upgraded to as high of an intelligence as it was and it just like each of these stories brought up like a different sort of ethical dilemma what would happen were there super intel- intelligent robots but that was not really the entire point it was like given this very specific situation how are the people responding mm. and that's what made it stand even though this book was written what 80 years ago or something like that Yeah. I think that's the thing, right? Like a lot a lot of the a lot of what I consider to be great sci-fi movies, like even The Matrix and Terminator and so on. Like yeah, the science and like the kind of action plays a huge role. And for The Matrix, of course, the action is what drew me to it and like that's what still stands out. But there's still very much Actually, The Matrix and The Terminator are they're definitely about the human struggle, but but yeah. they don't embody it as well as i think the quintessential sci-fi movie which is blade runner like mm. like that i think like just personally i think blade runner and 
its sequel 2049 are paradigms of how good science fiction can be written because like it the the science is very important to the story itself you know the idea of replicants the fact that they are basically humans but they cannot repro- reproduce you know questions of identity what it means to be human what it means to you know have like like in 2049 spoilers by the way if if you haven't watched it but like what it means to have a hyper intelligent assistance and like to fall in love with that to the point where like when you when i was watching the movie and the the ai got fried mm. it hit so hard in the theaters like i could hear audible gasps when that happened because the writing is so good and the technology is definitely at the forefront but it's in service of these very human relationships and like figuring out what it means to have such relationships in the confines or in in a virtual space you know yeah. and i think like obviously it's not to the same extent i don't think any one of us is falling in love with google's voice assistant assistant anytime soon though i think i think a few people have fallen in love with samsung's virtual assistant over the past i, I think uh, like so you know <laughs> perhaps but uh, that's a that's a very different story but i'm not very i'm not sure if we should get into no but uh, but my, uh, my point i think was, i think uh, you know no, yes but like uh, in terms of falling in love with the assistant i think that it is taking uh, in reality it's taking shape in a slightly different way mm-hmm. as an extremely strong reliance on that service yeah uh it may not be the sort of like emotional love or attachment that you think it is it's more of uh, a lot of our uh, relationships with uh, social media whether it's facebook or twitter or whatever you may not love it and most of us honestly hate it but the thing is there is a very uh strong a uh, relationship a lot of us have with it in terms of the amount of time that we have to spend with it the things that we decide to share to it and stuff like that right yeah uh the sort of things that people are have a tendency to tweet is can be a lot more intimate than the things that they may talk to uh, with the people around them yeah and i think it's that sort of relationship that may be more realistically likely but it ends up with a lot of very similar problems that a person like uh with the st- like the standard meaning of love mm. uh with their device or their like their ai assistant would end up in yeah i think that was the premise of her right like a society that's yeah. dependent on or like it's our society advanced a few years where everything is integrated yeah and then you have your own personal voice assistant who responds like a human and so on and then you're able to build a, yeah. a relationship that way Oh. Yeah, it's very black mirror also. Mm. Uh, yeah. Because true. Ba- true, true. Like that's the general vibe of most black mirror episodes. Yeah. N- like not necessarily a very positive relationship that people have but with a relationship uh, technology. But a very strong tight relationship yeah. that is very difficult to break. Uh and how that pervades society in different ways. And I think that uh, bringing that up a uh, black mirror in a way has actually uh, not just as fiction itself but i think it has brought up a lot of uh, technology mm-hmm. 
and ethics uh, discussions to the general public that I think would have been very difficult if it was brought up to the public uh, only through uh, discussions of the technology itself. I think by putting in these stories yeah. uh, of that are just set a little bit in, in the future, whether it's uh, like mass surveillance or uh, virtual reality systems or a, or a world that is completely uh, governed by how we rate each other on a scale of five. Mm. All of us who use uh, smartphones and various apps are used to a small bit of each of those. Mm. But I think the general public does hasn't generally looked at what's next or what what would happen if humanity mm-hmm. dialed this up like to the max. Yeah, I think that uh, these type of uh, uh, fiction serves actually a pretty important role in bringing awareness to these technology and the ethic questions mm-hmm. uh, regarding it. Yeah, I think honestly, sci-fi is one of the most interesting mirrors we can have of our society. Because, I mean, like we've said a couple of times within this episode itself, it mirrored the change from um, space frontiers to the virtual frontier. And even before that, you look at things like Jules Verne, you know, and H.G. Wells, you know, the Time Machine and the Invisible Man and War of the Worlds and so on. The 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 spec it, it's very speculative you know yeah. and, and and a lot of it was just you know mankind at that time just had no idea about what was possible here and yeah. these books mirrored that that lack of knowledge that thing of like oh we have no clue what's there so why yeah. so why don't i just like try and theorize or like try and make like a story out of it and like instigate you know, kind of investigation and discovery and so on. Yeah. Um. You know, things like, 20, what was it? 10,000 leagues under the sea? Or 20,000? 20, 20, yeah. Yeah. You know, things like that. Like, they, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say they were instrumental or anything, but I'm sure, like, you know, some of the scientists who discovered things like the Mariana Trench and so on, they definitely would have read something like 20,000 leagues under the sea when they were kids. And they're like, I wonder what's down there. Yeah, whether they did or not, it's just like it generally brings yeah, like yeah. an interest to what is going on yeah, under the exactly. water to people. Like, like it's like questions that maybe not everyone asks themselves, but once they do, they're like, huh, what actually goes on down there? Like that far down? Because like even if you went scuba diving, uh, you'd only go like 10, 20 meters yeah. below, not kilometers and you know that the ocean can extend that far so what on earth actually does go down there yeah and like um you know (laughs) sci-fi sci-fi as a mirror to society it's i think i think honestly if you want to know like the the cultural zeitgeist of the moment fancy word i love this word i love the word zeitgeist but um you know to find out the cultural zeitgeist of the moment honestly look at the kind of science fiction that is being produced at that moment, you will know how things are trending. And you yeah. know like what the key issues are that people really want to talk about. Yeah, and let's look at a few of the fairly recent uh, science fiction. So we have things like Ready Player One, mm. that I think was pretty massive at exploring a topic that I think has been on a lot of people's minds in uh that it, it, like if you if you're more of an anime fan perhaps uh like as trashy as it is sword art online 
uh, on a very similar thing of like building you're basically living in that virtual world which is a topic that we've explored in episode 1 of dumb dive but like Throwback. how that would play out uh <laughs> half a year early to the game i'd say yeah yeah <laughs> truly prophetic uh, but, we are the nostradamus of sci-fi <laughs> was nostradamus a science fiction author Ooh. and more next episode <laughs> now i'm just kidding but <laughs> <laughs> but like uh yeah so uh, what i'm saying is uh, i think uh virtual reality and its implications on how we interact with each other on what it, what it means to build a personality because it is a step removed from our physical selves uh, a lot more than our presence on like an online chat room or social media uh and it feels more real with having uh real b- full body tracking and the ability to move around and all of those things uh then you have stuff uh, like in black mirror which does look into the uh, like there's a bunch of other uh, such fiction, uh, fiction as well mm-hmm. uh, say even ghost in the shell westworld uh, i think westworld uh just looking at societies that are closer integrated mm-hmm. with robots and technology mass surveillance governmental or uh, massive corporation control over a lot of things that happen mm-hmm. i think that there are a lot of science fiction work that has gone exploring that field overall there's a lot of pessimism in science fiction right now mm-hmm. for the future of our relationship with uh, technology like i haven't seen too much uh, sci-fi that has been very optimistic that we're going to solve uh, the climate crisis and we're going to do so many cool things with technology anymore oh actually wait uh, um you you said a cri- climate crisis and like it triggered this um latent memory i have of one of my favorite <laughs> sci-fi series um it's this thing called terra nova i don't know if you've seen it no oh it's 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 a really interesting series so basically earth some point in the future is completely depleted of resources and like these people have been trying to find a way to like you know reset the you know the climate cycle and like try and get resources back but they haven't been able to engineer any solution and then they kind of crack time travel so they go back in time to the mesozoic era where there are dinosaurs but but they can't take like anything too hi-fi they can't take any elect- electrical equipment with them except for like a few things which can be disassembled and like okay there's like a bit of talk about like you know the magnetic fields and how they they may interfere with the time travel device and so on and so forth so all they have are like the semi-auto pistols and like disassembled kind of med- medical units and so on and like a small colony of people are sent into the past to set up camp in the mesozoic era it's okay. honestly so cool and like it's a like it's a genuinely good show because all of this happens in the first episode and after that it's literally just a human drama okay okay it's so well done like i i i felt like i got so sad when season 3 was cancelled because season 1 and 2 were really really good okay i haven't seen much fiction uh at a very high at well either quality or popularity that are very optimistic about the future uh if the the only optimism is through escapism escapism of some sort whether it's a 
being able to set up mm-hmm. colony on another planet or figuring out how to go back in time yeah. and not necessarily fix the present but just like live back then uh mm. or no, like guess, e- but... like say even wally right yeah. like that was like kind kind of depressing for the future of deeply Earth. distressing yeah uh so many things wrong with uh how they envisioned the future of uh, human society Uh, our inability to move yeah f- fixation on devices the environment's completely lost we just end up in space like on on an eternal like cruise liner of some mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. it's it's just uh bizarre i mean why do you think that pessimism itself exists you know because because we keep saying you know sci-fi is a mirror to our society like does it just show that we are inherently afraid of you know advancements like we're afraid of change aren't we at the end of yeah. it and i think sci-fi kind of reflects that in its pessimism itself like we're scared that these things will happen that's why you know that's why it's overly pessimistic we're afraid of these things and so we're able to give voice to them clearest yeah cuz like if i had to like lay out my fears right now i would be able to list them in great detail if i had to lay out my hopes they're not as clear because mm. like you want hopes to remain nebulous because like then you know no matter what you achieve within that ballpark it's there but fears you want them to be concrete so you stay away from them it's true like it just made me suddenly think of like optimistic uh, science fiction of any sort and like even older ones like maybe other than like comedy books or movies i can't really think of i mean the only much. one that kind of is an optimistic sci-fi thing is like star wars but that's honest like even th- there it's, it's more like fantasy than sci-fi mid- first off he, and yeah cuz you have space wizards right like that's what the jedi yeah and you have good camp bad camp and yeah. good camp uh, triumphing over bad camp and like it's it's pretty like at least the original trilogy is pretty optimistic Yeah but like it's still not very much so mm. I feel yeah I, is it just uh, that uh, we like a little bit of dystopia like it doesn't have to be all depressing but just a little bit of it <laughs> a little bit of dystopia of as a treat <laughs> <laughs> just like a small pinch of it into yeah. anything that we write enhances the umami flavor of the rest of the dish <laughs> yeah it's just that 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 that, that back throat bitterness <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i think we've thoroughly gone off the rails at this point <laughs> you know no the, the, there's just one uh-huh. final uh, thing that i wanted to go through which is uh, i feel like we haven't covered uh, sci-fi and animation uh, and how that is like a pretty great medium for expressing oh, yeah. the type of really bizarre unusual or difficult to film uh, visuals that artists might have in their head while coming up with mm-hmm. these these uh, these worlds and universes and scenarios and i think that the like say uh, wally that i brought up earlier and uh, a lot of other work that is done with anime whether it's stuff like from back like uh 
Evangelion, Evangelion and Gundam and all of those like mech type yeah. stuff. And then you have stuff like say uh, Ghost in the Shell that I brought up earlier, which goes into slash. robots and all of that. Yeah. Uh, and all the other like virtual reality type isekai stuff. Yeah, I think that like anime has that. There's a bunch of uh, exploration being done mm-hmm. in the Disney Pixar side as well. And I think that just generally the art form yeah. of animated drawings may just be a better uh, medium. And I don't want to say better, but like it's only limited by imagination, isn't it? Like exactly, yeah. exactly. And we have tools to really make. Uh, really high quality mm-hmm. animations uh, that were really difficult before uh, much easier than they've ever been so i think that it's possible that like that might just be a great medium like going forward as well i mean uh, if you want to m- talk about animation and sci-fi i think you have to bring up love death and robots netflix anthology yeah that was a great Amazing. series have i don't know if it's still two? going on but i have not absolutely oh, season, dude, season two is so good it's so good like but like so i was actually thinking of uh, things like uh, adventure time and rick and morty as science fiction animations as well i think rick and morty makes is a pretty solid uh, yeah rick and morty really truly high, you need to have a really high iq to understand the jokes at rick and morty uh but also genuinely like <laughs> it it, yeah. it 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 does explore a lot of like unusual things and i guess in a way Coming back, like this is optimistic science fiction in a way. I think like it's just Samurai it's just Jack, fun. Even Samurai Jack to an extent can be counted as a sci-fi. Doraemon, Pokemon, is everything? Pokemon, sci-fi? I wouldn't, but <laughs> but like Doraemon, I really think would be sci-fi. I think Digimon is like ro- sci-fi. Isn't it like a robot cat that can like yeah, like spawn yeah. anything out of its pocket, yeah, like yeah, yeah. something like that? I think Digimon sci-fi for sure. It's something. No, Digimon's definitely sci-fi because ah. it's entirely based in a virtual world which extends into the real world. I I haven't watched enough Digimon to know if I've watched exactly that, one season. But like, oh no! But I think I think Digimon the the primary thing itself, like from the outset, was that it's a virtual world that you can go into and control, and it behaves okay. exactly like the real world. And then later in the show, like there's like a break between the thing and like a portal happens, and then it extends into the real world. Like the monsters. Can okay, come that's fascinating. Yeah. No, like I think I, I've heard that the Digimon show is actually genuinely yeah, yeah, yeah. great. I've seen like I joke about seeing only one season. I've seen a bit of it. Like I don't remember it as much because I was always a Pokemon kid. But like, yeah, I do remember liking the Digimon show more than like the Pokemon show. Though I, yeah. I, I like the games. I like Pokemon as a franchise more than Digimon, which I think any sane person would. I mean, true. My main point was that I think uh, cartoons like uh, Western, Eastern, anywhere, any form of it, yeah, have a great potential to showcase uh, explorations in science mm-hmm. uh, and science fiction uh, a lot more uh, effectively, or at least at a lower budget with more creative freedom. And they can do really interesting things with it as well. So there's mm-hmm. there was this cartoon called Megas XLR. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's, it's basic. Not. It's basically a parody of the mecha genre, which is okay. which is basically what would happen if two teenagers got 
a giant like war suit and and it's okay. it's the most iconic thing cuz they they paint they paint the war suit with like flames all over it they retool the cockpit to look like the inside of a muscle car they have like it's it's so good it's so funny like yeah it's, it's like a parody of it it's like a parody of okay. mechas where you know teenagers get into a, a mech suit and essentially yeah. fight for their life and are somehow good at it here they ruin the city they break the robot countless times they spill soda all over it and cause a malfunction it's great oh my god you just made me realize that most of the stuff we saw in cartoon network was science fiction in a way like code name kids lab. next door hello dexter's lab yeah yeah dexter's lab code name kids next door uh pop of girls the grim adventures of billy like, and mandy like test your babies yeah yeah The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, like it's a bit supernatural True. as well, but like yeah. there was that entire side arc where there was that villain, there was like the circle of villains where one dude was like a brain in a vat. Um, but yeah, I think. I guess like overall, uh, science fiction like it's a really good indicator of where we are as a society. Uh, there's a lot of exploration, not just of. uh where we think science is moving in the future but also the ethics implications backlash uh how people will react to it and like sort of individual stories uh between human and machine human and human human and environment yeah. uh that are being explored a lot in various mediums whether it's movies film uh, i mean like uh, books comics uh just images and photography there's a lot of exploration in across all mediums and it just generally lends itself uh very much to the sort of things that we are interested yeah. in and we just like love seeing across uh how this is evolved over time and try to see where it's going to evolve next i mean and it's not just visual media as well there's there's phenomenal concept albums based on sci-fi like there's so many great concept albums i think anubis gate has a couple of really good ones and like that's just one or two albums i can recall yeah, right and now. and uh, igloo ghost oh, if yeah. you're looking oh, at the electronic music so like good. he's created an entire universe where things are happening and his music yeah. is just like lost recordings from that universe and stuff like that. so i think yeah for sure yeah i mean in conclusion man sci-fi really says a lot about a society doesn't it we do live in a society and uh, that's as good as <laughs> any place to leave <laughs> off i guess so yeah for this episode i've been pranav i'm arvind thanks for listening follow us on instagram twitter at dumbdive podcast on uh, instagram thanks